0: Hello friends, this is Pastor Rob from Dunn's Creek Baptist Church, and you are listening to Dunn's Creek Conversations, a weekly podcast about faith, discovery, growth, and life. It's our hope and prayer that in these conversations you are able to discover more of what God is doing in your life by hearing the stories of others and the conversations about faith that people are experiencing and going through in their own lives. Today we are privileged uh, to have as our guest, my good friend, Sergei Ketrovsky. Uh, Sergei is uh, a coffee enthusiast, a community builder, a Jesus follower. Um, he spent many years involved in ministry with Youth with a Mission, uh, that's YWAM, and he has been all over the world sharing the gospel message. Uh, he currently uh, is serving as a barista. Um, In a community builder in the north downtown Jacksonville area. And I am so glad to call him my friend and for you to hear the conversation that we had about all the things God has done in his life, all the ways that God is growing him. And it is a long conversation, so I want to go ahead and jump right into it. Um, But I pray that you're blessed by it today. So you and I have known each other for about 2 years. That's what well, it seems um, to right. You for for those who are listening um from Dunn's Creek, they'll be familiar with you. You came and and uh, preached about a year and a half ago. Right. Um brought a phenomenal message on community um that we still talk about today and I think has impacted uh, the way we look at um groups culture uh within the church. And uh that's not that's not something that was haphazard for you you have a heart for community and a heart for the way community has developed um, by just from the sheer amount of time you spent um, working with youth with a mission um, as a base director as an, as, a, as a site leader um, but that's not your whole story so um, for for someone who's listening who who doesn't know the the story of Sergey. What do they need to know? Give us give us the cliff Notes version of your story. Um, where you're from, where your people from, <laughs> yeah. uh, how how that has impacted everything in your life and, and kind of where you've been, um and, and where are you now?
1: Yeah, that's that's a big question and to give Cliff Notes is a hard, hard thing, but I'll try my best. Um basically um from the former Soviet Union I'm immigrant, mm-hmm. you know, we immigrated to the United States for the hope of um, a better future, especially for my dad growing up in Soviet Russia and then moving to the United States and seeing and hoping that this is the promised land for his kids, me and <laughs> me, you know? So that's how I was raised. Um, my parents were believers mm-hmm. when I was born and, you know, I was raised with that kind of idea of, you know, God is the center and core of everything you do, mm-hmm. um, and there's really nothing outside of that. Yeah. So God was part of my life the whole time, um, but I think throughout throughout the time of being raised in such a strong God-centered Russian community mm. um, within an American culture that we didn't understand in American Christianity yeah. that we had a hard time relating to and understanding, it really put me in a place of, I'm seeking, which mm. I think is wonderful. It was great. It was a place where I wanted to know more about who God is for who I was, not what my Russian culture brought mm. and what Russian Christianity, so to say, um, taught me. So um, even
0: even when you had immigrated, you you moved largely into an ethnic enclave of, of yes. first generation immigrants. Yep. Definitely. So, so, I mean, you, you were living in the Pacific Northwest, but you were still very much living in Russian communities, speaking Russian almost primarily as a first language. Yes.
1: And, uh, and before we lived in the Pacific Northwest, and the reason we came to the Pacific Northwest was because there was a major Slavic movement going from Argentina to Canada. Hmm. Um, when my parents heard about that Slavic movement, they had a lot of people that were related to that and were leading it. Hmm. So they wanted to find a community that could understand their life and where they're at. Wow. Um, because the major impact that immigration, and in the sense like being political refugees, mm-hmm. um, because they were fleeing from a communist nation, it changed how they just. Saw everything in the United States. They needed that commonality with the people, so that was a major part. And being raised in that, that's all I knew. You know, I started learning English in kindergarten, <laughs> taking ESL. Never spoke it at home. It was just a school thing. You mm-hmm. know, I I, rem- I started diving into reading the Bible in English when I was twenty. Wow. Yeah.
0: So so prior, I mean, so you spent all of your childhood and all of your teenage years. Even your even how you understood and how you thought about scripture, you were thinking about it in Russian. Absolutely, yeah. And and so it's so interesting because you know one of the the conversations even thinking about in in the modern day church, there still is so much. Uh, I don't want to say controversy, but there's there's so much sensitivity around translation, around translation of scripture that's used, and you know we've, I think we we know a handful of churches that are. They they use one particular translation of the Bible, and that's it. And so for you, I mean, th- those those conversations had to be somewhat foreign because for you, you're just coming out of going, I, I know Scripture in Russian. Right. So th- there there are people that are going, well, hey, I, I, this is how I know this verse. I know this verse in the King James Version and the these and thous, and you're going, yeah, but I, I, I know it in Russian. I, <laughs> we're not even talking the same language, literally. Right.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things is that the Russian Bible has one major translation. Yeah. So going from everybody that I knew that was Russian or Ukrainian read mm-hmm. one translation. Yeah. Uh, to moving to doing like a Bible school and discipleship courses where people could be sitting together and all every single person in the group could have a different translation. Wow. Like that was mind blowing. But that also was like, wait, are we all understanding the same thing? Like, because Hmm. this sounds different, that sounds different, but we're all talking about the same thing. So that was big. But that also opened up a door for me to understand the depth of scripture. Yeah, because the Russian translation is very old, and a lot of things that were missing in the book were due to translation and how you know language develops. Yeah. So
0: that's incredible. So so here you are. Uh, in, in this, you know, ethnic enclave, you know, Russian, Russian, Ukrainian kind of Slavic community, uh, a, a thriving church, um, but a thriving church that was, was really isolated to kind of one people group. So what, what happened for you? What was, what was the experience like of you coming into teenage years and into young adulthood? What was it that kind of brought you out of that bubble? and and into maybe a a growing or changing understanding of Jesus and what your relationship with God looked like.
1: Yeah, sadly I I grew up with a really strong us versus them mentality. Hmm.
0: Um, unpack that, that a little bit for us. What do you when you say that what what is what did that look like for you? What did that mean for you?
1: To a degree my parents, my family was and felt really not accepted by the American culture. Mm. And it was basically because they couldn't connect on a relational level due to language. That Mm. was was a major thing. I mean, no, we didn't prepare for this move. You know, my my parents just went with what was, the doors were opening, and they went with what they had. So with the language, they weren't prepared. And then with the cultural differences, they weren't prepared, a horrible culture shock. Uh, So that ingrained in us as a kid and as a child and seeing my siblings that we are Russian and they are not. Hmm. Um, So that was a big part to seeing really how how I understood my worldview in that center. So I had a I would say in school especially I I had a hard time connecting with my classmates that weren't Russian. Thankfully my school was 10 percent Russian so we had a huge community but that's still it made it very difficult mm-hmm. now when when i when i hit kind of graduated high school started seeing okay what does what does my life look like outside what, what uh, outside of high school where am i headed in life i started meeting other people and started experiencing life with other people and getting to know other people and i'm like wait there's non Russian people that think like me. Like, you know what I mean? That's weird to think. Like, so the isolation, the cultural isolation was impacted my thinking to such a deep level, including
0: how I saw the gospel. Yeah. What, I mean, so get into that. What is it? It, it impacted the way you saw the world, including the gospel. So, what did that look like? I mean, how, how had it, what were the ways that you, you could see that? My filter, the filter through which I'm I'm seeing the gospel, the lens through which I'm seeing the gospel, is the this lens largely informed by the first generation immigrant experience of feeling like an outsider, feeling there's not really a home for you. I mean, literally, literally I mean, you talk about this gospel identity of feeling like aliens in a foreign land, strangers in a foreign land. You you literally had that experience, yeah, and yet something changed where the gospel or the lens through which you viewed the gospel it it had to get bigger what 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 was that for you what did what did it take for that to happen what was the impetus of that
1: yeah specifically there was this time in my life where i was working a lot i was uh pursuing quote unquote the american dream that's what my parents wanted for me I was in school. I was thinking about being becoming a flight nurse because the debate between my dad and mom, like my mom was like, you should become a flight nurse. My dad's like, you should become a lawyer. Those are my two major options for American success.
0: Were, were those your options or their, their yeah, options? I
1: just wanted to do creative work. I wanted yeah. to be a photographer. That's all I had. My parents were like, nah, that's not working. <laughs> so they're like, you're not going to make any money. You need to make money. That's the most important thing right now. Um, so I was I was going to nursing school, got a couple of jobs, and started succeeding. And I remember at one point, I was so consumed with what I was doing that I really, really forgot about what is the core of the gospel, what is the core of my life. Uh, I remember after getting off a night shift and, ch- and driving to church, and be- that was between two of my shifts, and I was completely tired, stayed up all night. And I literally went off the road, like opened up my eyes. I was in the field, continued shifting gears and got back on the road. And that was a moment of like, what am I doing? Mm. Like the idea of pursuing money and the American dream consumed me so much that I lost my purpose Mm. and even my desires and what I want to do in life. And at that time, I met some people who started talking about God in a way that I was very foreign to me. Um, I grew up with a very stoic God who Mm. was somewhere up in the clouds. He hears our prayers, but do we really know what he's doing and saying? And these people in my life started talking about God in a way that I've never heard because it was super relational. Mm. They were talking to him like a friend. And I was like, what's going on? Like do I know this? This is different. Is this the same religion? Are we talking about the same God? Is this Jesus? Like, who Mm. are you talking about? That was really how I thought. And it produced this anxiety and hunger at the same time in me. Because I'm like, Mm. I want that, but is it okay? Mm. Tell me more, but whoa, whoa, slow down. Are you sure you're right? So that's kind of what put me in a place of searching for a deeper meaning of what and who Jesus is.
0: Where does does YWAM... Come in to this story and my understanding is that when it came into your life YWAM changed everything
1: yes correct so YWAM's slogan is to know God and make him known Mm -hmm. so I had a friend who was part of YWAM and two of my friends were actually transitioning to become on staff at YWAM and the more they shared about hearing God's voice uh the more it intrigued me like okay, maybe, maybe this is possible. But it also freaked me out because hearing God's voice from what I knew before YWAM was very scary. It was a scary thing. So I was like, uh, I was hearing them say this and I'm like, man, and I remember praying. I was like, God, if this is real, like I need a sign. And I, was, I didn't know how to hear God's voice personally in my everyday life. So I was really hoping things would align. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, that God said that. God said this. God was speaking about this. So looking back, 2020 is obviously clear. And I, I took a leap for it. You know, there was the entry course in YWAM is the Discipleship Training School. I didn't know what I was getting into. I thought it was a school for um, like PKs or, you know, the missionary kids, pastors, kids, and like people who are super holy have a whole nother degree so I felt very intimidated I'm like my life's a mess what am I doing but I want to take a leap into this and I did a discipleship training school because they had a soccer focus and I played soccer I uh, managed a local soccer team I coached I was doing all of that and I was like you know what if all of this mission stuff fails there's always soccer you know so And I went to Nashville, that's where I did my discipleship training school. That was the farthest away from home (laughs) I've ever been
0: and by myself. So here you are, I I mean, your faith in God was very much core of who you are. Your faith in Jesus, very much a core of who you are. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, growing up in one of the areas that we look at are one of the most um, maybe unfriendly to the gospel message. And then For the first time in your life, you kind of leave the safety of that family and that support system to go, in your minds, really kind of to the other end of the earth, which is Nashville, Tennessee. Right. And you find yourself in the heart of the Bible Belt and in this discipleship training school with YWAM. And what began to happen for you? How was it that your faith began to evolve and change in that, in, in those, not just that first... Discipleship Training School, but in the the mission that followed and some of the the choices that came after, some of uh, the decision you ultimately made to go on staff uh, with uh, YWAM, with Youth with a Mission, what was God doing to your faith during that period of time?
1: Yeah, so I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, not knowing really I've never heard of the Bible Belt. And in the Pacific Northwest, like you mentioned, it was very Passive and cold Christianity, Mm. where in Nashville, the people I encountered, like everybody went to church Mm. Um, and it was passive and warm.
0: So just just as passive, just as passive, just but but the cultural difference. Right. So, so, I mean, you you were moving out of the Northwest into the South, but but really the religious experience was largely just as passive.
1: Right. Everybody was, there was nothing new about being crazy. You talk to people at the local gas station. Oh yeah, I go to this little Baptist church over here. You know what I mean? Like that was normal. Like there was, I mean, for example, like when I started stepping out in the school and praying for people out on the street, uh, there was nothing wrong with that. You can go and pray for people. Sure. Yeah. I'll be in church on Sunday. You know what I mean? And that changed me. I remember one, Ministry opportunity we had was just going to the mall and talking and praying with people. And I remember coming back and debriefing, and I'm thinking, did I just come up to strangers and just ask them if they can pray together? Like, that was unheard of for me in the Pacific Northwest. That was not—I mean, you wouldn't even think about doing that.
0: And I I imagine in Nashville, half the people you talked to didn't bat an eye. I mean, yeah, sure, let's let's do it. Let's pray.
1: Right. So it it really— changed how I saw then cultural Christianity from that point of view, where it was completely normal, um, it was different, and then my school that I was part of was very diverse when it came to denominations. In in my experience, that was the first time I actually heard and understood that there's more than two denominations in Christianity, meaning there's what I grew up was Baptists and... Pentecostals, and the only deciding fact were the gifts of the Spirit. So, so that's all that, I that's
0: knew. So, you did, so, I mean, despite growing up in really a Slavic community, you didn't grow up in in any kind of Eastern Orthodox or Catholic expression. I mean, it was Baptist or Pentecostal.
1: That's it. And uh, when I found out what Pentecostal actually means, I was like, that's not what I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like, wait, what? No, I've never heard of that. What are you talking about? Like, And same thing, like, that's not the Baptists I know. Okay. Like, so the dynamic of Christianity in Nashville, combined with Youth with a Mission's um, goal to see it be interdenominational, really expanded my horizon in what God was doing globally. Hmm. Um, so I saw that this Christianity deal is, is a big, is huge. It's all over, and it's very diverse. first few friends in my school, I started talking, getting to know them, and we started bonding with a few guys in the dorm, I started seeing that even though a lot of these guys were very different, the core was the same. Mm. Um, What they struggled with was the same as me. Getting to know God personally, that was, you know, everybody's struggle. Um, Their backgrounds were obviously very, very different. And what they wanted to know what they wanted to achieve in life to know god in a much more intimate way was the same as in me and so it brought into question to think like okay so this desire that is planted in every single human being this desire that is planted in this group of guys that i was connected with was universal Mm. so if it's like that in this room what does it look like if i go to another church what does it look like if i go to another city And with YWAM, we started traveling within our school. We started going to different states and traveling and going to different parts of the United States was like, wait, it's that easy? Like, and you get to meet so many new people and process what you're thinking with new people on the spot just because you're connected through this global network. Mm -hmm. Uh, That expanded my view and just seeing that once again, we're we're all the same. There's really not a big difference outside of how you were born and raised and what culture. But that desire to intimately know God is in everybody, no matter what the denomination is, you know. And then my first trip overseas to Argentina, there was this fire burning in me for the people to see God move in a way that I, I can't explain. Uh, i remember we were going out on the street and talking with people and nothing was happening and i was like this gospel stuff i believe it it's real the gospel is the real deal like what's going on why do i not see the power of the gospel like impacting people and people like awakening to the reality Mm. and i remember sharing this with my small group leader and i was like you know i I think i think i'm gonna I'm, i'm just giving up like i don't know like I don't know what else to do. What? He's like, nothing. Just go out and talk to people. Mm-hmm. So we're in this uh, country part of Argentina, and I remember we we're just going out to the park and we we're trying to do, you know, the old-fashioned drama skits and this and that to bring people in. No one's coming in. It's like midday in the middle of the work week. Who's yeah. out at the park strolling around trying to watch a drama? But then there's this mom with a few kids just walk uh, just taking her kids to the park. Um, she stops and she notices us. And she starts watching. We perform a few dramas. We share a short little conversation message with her. And then I come up and I start engaging her in conversation through a translator. And as we're talking, I see she's starting to tear up. And I'm like, I don't know what I said. Mm. Um, so it, for a little while, it kind of freaks me out. But then when I start talking with her, I hear like some this thought come to my mind share about how Jesus cared and called the children to him and mm-hmm. at this point her daughter just ran away and she kind of got a little frazzled and was like oh I need to get my daughter and I saw that in her and I said do you see how anxious you are about finding your daughter and seeing your daughter be next to you I'm like that's how God feels about you and I read that scripture for her and she just broke loose right there and we're like can we pray she ended up Giving her life to Jesus on the spot there, and just saying like, "Man, this is what I needed to hear." In that moment, right there, I saw that, man, wherever you are, the gospel is huge. Yeah, God is everywhere, and He's at work. And the fact is, God is winning.
0: Yeah, that this this beautiful picture of a God who is redeeming all things and everybody. Yes. So you had eight, eight and a half years of the experience of doing that, um, of, of that largely being your life, building community, building people up, uh, teaching people, developing curriculums so that people can understand a, a personal relationship with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And today you, you are um, doing photography, you are um, working as a barista, uh, going through the process of becoming uh, certified as a as a coffee professional, and you have a passion for uh, Indonesia and for um, the coffee of Indonesia and for the people who make and produce that coffee in Indonesia, and so you really seeing coffee as a vehicle, uh, as 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 a instrument of the gospel um, in this area of the world, um, and so there, your heart for missions hasn't changed, but. Um, your world has largely been flipped up on its head in, in the last year and a half. And, and by no means are we wanting you to go into um, every detail of that. Um, and, and we don't want you to disparage anyone. But just talk to us if you can for a moment about um, here you are, years into a, 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 a walking, loving, faithful relationship with Jesus. And the, un- the, the extremely unexpected has happened. And what has your life looked like? What does your faith look like? How has your faith changed and grown in the last year and a half? Going through what you've gone through, and if you want to just share, I mean, just uh, obviously, just maybe just a, a, a brief, just picture of what what has happened and what that's looked like.
1: Yeah. So if we pick up from my last trip to Indonesia, God really stirred my heart um, to see missions be bigger than a program or an institution or part of what the church does, mm-hmm. but for missions to be, yes. be incarnational. I remember going to Jakarta and walking around and looking at the people and seeing that as I smile at, at these people, the face of God was shiny on them. Just the simplicity of that. So I have this, I would say almost like, crazy experience in indonesia personally and god creates this vision in me to reach these people through a very personal non-institutional way and at that point i was um, at youth with a mission which was being founded and started in saint augustine and at that point i knew that my time was shifting and there was going to be change to the call that god the missions that you said is was the same the Mm -hmm the heart to love and reach people like Jesus did was the same, but the how was changing. Yeah. Um, I saw how God was doing it in a dynamic way. So you can say at that point, so much good is happening. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm just climbing. I'm going uh, just at hundred miles an hour, new vision, new plans, bigger, better things. And I stepped to move to Jacksonville. And at that point I was married And my wife filed for divorce. Mm. And it was like...
0: Completely unexpected. I had no uh, idea idea this was coming.
1: I couldn't have planned for this. I couldn't have prepared for this. Uh, Plans to see, you know, God use me and to be a full-time minister was just flourishing. Mm -hmm. Right before that, I spoke um, to some of the biggest crowds I've ever spoke in the United States, especially and everything was good you know i I knew that i knew where i was headed and i wanted to continue and then when that happened it just caught me off guard Mm. i had a hard time even trying to continue in what god was calling me i was like man maybe god changes mind like Mm. uh what what is going on and how do i continue and it left me in this place of almost um I know this is a cliche word that a lot of people use right now, but it put me in a place of deconstruction Mm. where I started asking a lot of questions about what I was doing, what my calling was, who I was. That Mm. was the big thing. Um, To know that identity of who I was and who God is and how does he look at me through this tragic event. Yeah. Uh, So I remember early, like as soon as it happened early in time, I was just, I was done, I was, I I didn't know how I would continue in ministry, I lost all of my support, Um, I lost majority of churches who would call me back to speak, and my ministry platform was being undone, and I didn't know what to do, and I came to God, and I said, God, this is all I know, like how do I restart, how do I continue um, doing what I want to do, what you've called me to do? And I, during that time, I knew that nothing has changed with God. Mm. He hasn't changed one. His call in my life hasn't changed. Yeah. It's just different. It, it, it's a little harder, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of where I started seeking help. One, I went you know straight to counseling, um, connected with a ton of pastors, and started walking everything out and the major part was seeing that okay it's okay to press the pause button Mm. it's okay to say god i i just need your help right now yeah you know the call of god never changed in my life even when i needed him more than the whole idea of he needs me to do something for him Mm. and during that time god really started reconstructing my faith in who he is uh, how i relate to him how i connect with him and i realized that my heart became so much more tender for people than it ever has Mm. Uh, i remember going out um just to seeing seeing the sunrise and just weeping and i'm like what's going on like i I never i don't remember connecting with god over nature but Mm. my heart became so tender where i knew that Nothing else matters at this point except for who God says that I am hmm. and who I know Him to be. Wow.
0: I, I love this this kind of, this opportunity, this hitting the pause button for you. It gives you an opportunity to, to discover something that I think for those of us who work in or around ministry becomes an easy thing for us to happen, which is where we can view um our work we can you know our faith work you know with right motives right heart but some point along the way it can become god needs me to do this for him and that can that be, can become your identity over your your personal need for god and so this really tragedy that happens in your life be it a tragedy that happens in your life that brings you back to that place of God, my identity is I need you, not you need me. And Correct. in that shift in identity really becoming a, a process of softening your heart, not just towards God, but towards other people as well, because you're not approaching those other people as a project to do, as, as an assignment to complete, but as other people who desperately need the same God that you desperately need. That's such a powerful shift in the way we view others and the way we view the world. And so here you are, you're, you're I mean, still very much, God's calling for your life hasn't changed. God's mission for your life hasn't changed. Um, there's been some healing. Uh, there's been some healthy steps that you've been taking in the last year and a half. Where you're at now, as you look back, not just over the last year and a half, but as you look back over your whole life, up till this point, what is, what is the primary thing? What is, what is the primary picture of faith for you? What does faith mean for you when you're talking to someone about faith? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a big, big question. So when I think about faith, I think some of the cliches still come up and that's like, you know, faith is the hope of things unseen, this and that, these so-called definitions. But I think I realized that faith is not necessarily defined, it's described. Mm. And when I describe faith and when I think about faith, it turns me to the time in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 14, I believe, where um, Peter walks on water. And the whole episode is interesting because Jesus tells the disciples, he's like, you should get on this boat. You know, crowd is forming, it's getting late. Go, go, go. And Jesus releases the disciples but then misses the boat. Um, So Jesus then steps out and continues to pursue them. There's a storm brewing and he walks on water to his disciples and his disciples see them. They're terrified. And then Peter steps up and he looks at Jesus and he's like, I, I, I want to know you. Mm-hmm. you know, he looks at him and he says, you know, call me out onto the water. And when Peter steps out, he's not looking at, okay, trying to understand the dynamic of what does this physically mean? And, you know, how is it going to be possible to walk on a liquid, mm-hmm. all of that. He's consumed with who Christ is. Mm. Is this really him? Mm. Uh, This is a strange strange thing for them to witness. I mean, Jesus has done a lot of things, but walk on water. I Mm -hmm. mean, he's changing the laws of physics here. So Peter walks out in the storm, gazing at Jesus. But then when he looks down and he says, oh, my surroundings... He is in a place where he has to decide what is he going to believe? Is he going to believe something that is like mystical? And there's this awe of like breaking the dynamics of, you know, physical ability. Or is he going to believe in what he knows? He knows water. Mm. He knows that he can sink. And he has that tension. He has that place where he's trying to figure out, like, okay, what is more real for me? And as he continues to drown, Jesus takes him back into the boat. And to me, that's a picture of faith. Mm. That's where it's a tension. You're always, there's always a struggle of saying, okay, what's more real? You know, uh, what I believe, I see who, in Jesus to be the truth. The way in the life, or what I believe I see around me, mm. and I think for me during my struggles and my pain and suffering, I had to look at my circumstances and I say these are real circumstances. I, I can't deny my circumstances. A lot has changed, but then I had to say, like, has Jesus changed? Mm. Uh, how? What is he doing now and how is he doing things differently? But it's still the same thing.
0: Mm.
1: So I had to cling to the truth that sometimes was very hard to believe because it wasn't a physical truth. Mm. It was a mystical and spiritual truth that God was reassuring me that, hey, I'm still here. My heart towards you hasn't changed. This is devastating. But the fact is, redemption is always at hand, Mm -hmm. you know, and that really helped me understand that faith is much more than a simple, let's say, oh, I'm going to, you know, pray a prayer or act a different way. It was dynamic. Mm. There was a tension in it. Um, It was an experience that continues going. It's not a one step. Okay, I've done this. Now I'm going to do this. It's a place of being with Jesus.
0: Mm. Wow, what a treat to have our good friend Sergey Kotrovsky with us. Um, that's Duns Creek Conversations for this week. We pray that you're doing well. Pray that God is expanding your horizons and doing phenomenally dynamic things in your faith and in your life. God bless you.